that he will speak powerfully the words that you want us to hear today. The Lord, you will bless his preparation and the way that the Spirit has spoken through that. And Lord, maybe if you want to change things even here and now, that he will just be open to that. So come, Holy Spirit, have your way among us. We're out through James, that today we might hear the voice of God speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, good morning. Um, thank you very much for your welcome. It's good to be with you. Uh, as Tim says, we've come over from a place called Budley Salterton, uh, which is over in the land where jam and cream go the right way round. And um, I know. actually, I, I think you've got it right on this one because I think your way round you get more cream. Um, but obviously, I can't say that there. Only here. Um, if you don't know Budley, it's a very small, uh, sleepy seaside town uh, where not a lot happens, really. We, we've got old people by the coach load, um, and we've got a nudist beach. And <laughs> don't let that thought take you too far. Um, this gives me with you, and I do bring greetings. Um, a few weeks ago, Tim sent me uh, the, the passage that he wanted me to speak on today, and also a title, Amazed by Grace. And pretty much since then, I've had that old hymn stuck in my mind, Amazing Grace. You know it, don't you? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Don't, don't make me sing it. You don't want that. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It's a fantastic hymn, isn't it? It's a great song. It's so well known all around the world. I'm looking up some details about it on the internet. Um, they reckon it's sung about 10 million times in churches and communities every single year. It's been recorded by all the great artists, Johnny Cash, Aretha Franklin, Rod Stewart. Um, <laughs> but more recently, I don't know if you remember, you might have seen the, the footage of Barack Obama breaking into singing it at the memorial service for one of the shooting victims, I think, in Charleston a couple of years ago. It's a fantastic song. It seems to capture so well something of, of, of the feeling of despair and hopelessness, but then the transformation that God brings by his grace. But how many of you know the story behind the song? A few of you. Who wrote it? John Newton. And who was John Newton? He was a slave trader, yeah. Um, John Newton, actually, if you go uh, a little bit further back into his life, he, he had a pretty bad time of it. He had a terrible childhood. His mum died when he was seven years old. His dad was a ship's captain who took him away to sea with him when he was 11 years old. And so he spent those formative teenage years at sea. And by all accounts, he was an absolute nightmare. Um, he fell in with the bad lot and then eventually became almost a ringleader, you know, the very worst of the worst. Um, he was into drinking. Um, uh, one of his captains that he later served under said he'd never heard such profanity from a sailor, which is going some, I think, isn't it? Um, eventually, um, he, he fell out with the crew that he was a part of. He was conscripted into the Royal Navy, um, but then he uh, started an affair with a family friend and uh, deserted to go and be with her. He was caught, brought back, given lashes, um, but then kicked out the Navy anyway, and ended up working on a slave ship. Uh, there he carried on his bad behavior, uh, debauchery, profanity, drinking, all the rest of it, um, until eventually he'd fallen out with so many of the crew that on one of their trips to West Africa, they just left him there. 
uh, gave him to a slave trader who was living and working in there, who in turn handed Newton over to his wife to treat as one of her own slaves. And so he spent several years being abused, uh, going through all sorts of bad treatment there, until his dad, who was still a ship's captain, if you remember, sent someone else, didn't come himself, but he sent someone else to come and rescue him. They did that, but on the way back, the ship uh, that Newton and this rescue team were on uh, got caught in a huge storm just off the coast of Ireland, and the ship started to sink. And it's at that moment that John Newton found himself crying out to God. I'm not sure exactly what happened. Some accounts say that something miraculously shifted in the hold and blocked the hole in the ship. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But either way, God saved them. They were able to get home safely. And from that moment on, Newton became a Christian. He stopped being a slave trader. He became an Anglican vicar. It's an obvious transition. <laughs> and then became a hugely vocal campaigner for the abolition of the slave trade, up there with voices like William Wilberforce and all the rest of them. It's a great story, isn't it? It's a great story of, of God's grace at work, of someone being in, in such darkness, being in that destructive spiral of sin, but then God finding them and bringing them out of there into the light. The story of that transformation that comes about as a result of God's grace. And it seems to illustrate, uh, for me at least, so perfectly that passage that we just heard read from Ephesians 2. And we don't know um, exactly what was going on, the, the, the reasons for writing Ephesians. We're not really sure who it was written to or the context, what was going on in the church at the time. We're not even really sure who wrote it. It was probably Paul, but there's good reasons to believe it may well not have been. For today's purposes, we'll just assume that it was Paul. But it seems that whoever wrote this letter, whether it would be Paul or someone else, that they wanted to impart to the Ephesians something of a, a, an overview, if you like, of the Christian faith, the broad brushstrokes of the significance of their newfound faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, and here in this passage, to, to focus on that grace of God at work in their life. Apart from God. My microphone's cutting in and out. Just as I say God. <laughs> you were living apart from God, the creator and source of all life. And therefore, your only direction was to death, not life. One of the great church fathers, Athanasius, uh, describes it as being in a state of sin sickness. Like we have this condition which is tearing us apart from God, wrenching apart our relationship with him. And it's killing us. But then, going back to Ephesians, the passage goes on. But then God, in his infinite mercy, not because of anything you've done, not because of anything you could do, not because you've earned it in any way, but because of his amazing grace. See what I did there? Because of his grace, he raised you 
to new life in Jesus Christ. Raised you up with him and made you a new person. And now, even now, you are seated in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. Your relationship with God restored, reconciled. You are a new person. You are a new creation. You are saved. It is done. You are with him now. This is good news, isn't it? You say yes, your faces. <laughs> this is good news, but I suspect that for many of us sitting here, even though we know this to be the truth, even though we know this to be a reality, often, often it doesn't feel that way, does it? We know what God has done for us. We know about the grace of God. We know about that transformation that that grace should bring and often it doesn't feel like that is what is going on in our lives. We read passages like Ephesians 2. We hear the stories of of people like John Newton and we expect there to be some great dramatic change, this this overnight transformation. entirely we still find ourselves tempted in so many different ways, find ourselves being drawn irresistibly it seems back into that old way of being we find it so hard to kick those habits which we know are wrong but we just don't seem to be able to shake them, we know up here what we should and shouldn't be doing you don't have the strength to do it Like Paul says in Romans 7, I find myself doing what I don't want to do. What I do want to do, I just don't seem to be able to do it. We find ourselves still being hurt by the words and actions of others, still carrying the burdens of worry and stress and fear and anxiety and all the rest of it. And it's so easy to start thinking, if you're feeling like that, isn't it? There must be something wrong with me. Why am I so different to everyone else? Does God not like me? Is God punishing me in some way? We come and stand in church on a Sunday morning, we look around us and there's people raising their hands and their worship who seem to be having such a great time with God and and sometimes we feel like we can join them. Other times, we're just not there. Why can't I be like them? Why can't I have what they've got. Why can't I be like people like John Newton? Yes, a terrible life, but nobody would want that, but but then that big conversion, that dramatic transformation, write a song that everyone's still singing 300 years later. Bang, job's a good one. If any of that resonates with you this morning, 
describe something of how you're feeling at the moment or times in your life when you have felt like that. It may come as some comfort to know that John Newton's story, the way it's often told, the way I told it just now, actually it's not entirely accurate. Yes, he had a terrible life. He described himself as the very worst of sinners, one of Satan's servants, he actually said later on. And yes, he did have that dramatic conversion experience on the ship where he felt like God had acted miraculously in his life and from that point on called himself a Christian. But it was no overnight transformation. No dramatic change, really, in who he was. After that moment, he then became captain of a slave trading ship and went on to do at least three more voyages as the captain selling slaves. Most of his behavior carried on much as it had before. It seems that he might have started swearing a little bit less, but everything else, fair game. He only stopped in the slave trade because he had a stroke and collapsed, and even then, he spent the next 10 years or so of his life back on dry land, but investing in the slave trade because he knew there was money to be made there. After he became a vicar, it's then that he started to write hymns and songs and ones like Amazing Grace. But it was another 34 years before he would publicly denounce his former profession. Did he meet God in that moment on the ship? Did he have a conversion experience? Yes, yes, he did. Did he make that transition from death to life? Yeah, yeah, he did. But the outworking of God's grace in his life. That transformation from inside to out, the complete change in his behavior and his attitudes and his lifestyle and all the rest of it. Well, that took an awful lot longer. As I said before, Paul or whoever wrote this letter, they want to remind the Ephesian churches of, of who they are now in Christ of that basic fact of God's grace, of that encounter that they've had with God, that change from death to life. You could call it resurrection, couldn't you? This is what God has done for you. Out of his sheer grace, his love for you, the fact that you are his precious children. But Paul isn't naive enough to think that from this moment on, for them or for anyone else, everything is just going to be plain sailing. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean that we, from that moment on, meet, you know, get to live this blissful, sin-free existence. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean that from that moment on we won't be tempted by sin, won't find our desires tearing us in all sorts of different directions. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean that we won't still be hurt by the words and actions of others, won't still carry the burdens of the past, whether it's things we've done or failed to do, things that have been done to us, whatever it might be. Becoming a Christian doesn't free us up from any of that. But what it does do, and this is perhaps where the grace of God is truly amazing, it allows us to hear the voice of God saying to us, yeah, I know what's going on in your life. And none of that, none of that defines you. That is not who you are anymore. Because you live by a different story now. A story of life, not death. 
a story of hope, not despair. You are a new creation. You have been raised to new life in Christ. You do now dwell with him. You are saved. And nothing, absolutely nothing, can change that. And it's from that point that we then move on to see our lives transformed. I think sometimes this, this passage in Ephesians is, is meant to be a description of the starting point in our walk with God rather than the totality. Because it's from here, from this fundamental encounter with God and his grace, from this change of identity that we find as we come into him. It's from here that we begin to see the outworking of his grace the transformation that he brings in our lives. God, by his spirit, a work within us, transforming us from inside to out, slowly, painfully, sometimes, as we submit every part of who we are to him and allow him to shape and form us. For we are, as Paul says in the very last part of that passage, we are God's handiwork knitted together by him to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. That is who you are. That is who, by the grace of God, you were created to be. I've got no idea what's coming up in a minute or how Tim's going to lead us in reflecting on any of this, but I'd encourage you to think perhaps in two different ways. Some of us this morning just need to hear that basic truth, that the grace of God is for us. It is for you, whatever is going on in your life at the moment. You might think you're not good enough for God. You might think you haven't reached a bar yet. You might not be able to understand it all or get everything into place. There might be so many things going on in your life, so many burdens you carry, you think, I just can't, I just can't do it. grace of God is for you because it is a gift from him nothing at all to do with who we are or where we've come from or what has happened to us or what we carry it is for you he wants to give it to you this morning he's inviting you to receive it to step into that new life in him and maybe some of us have uh, called ourselves Christians for years but we need to hear that truth again let's come back to basics, to come back to the root of it all, to come back to that fundamental encounter with the grace of God. And there's others here who have got that to a greater or lesser extent. I'm not sure any of us really get it, but have got it to a certain degree. But need to hear the voice of God saying this morning, that, come on, what's next? Where are we going next? Let's have a look at your life. Let's have a look at the things that are going on and allow my amazing, infinite, unbelievable grace to transform you. May that be the case for us. In Jesus' name, amen.